This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. So Brian Solis, he's a world-renowned digital anthropologist and futurist who serves as a global innovation evangelist at Salesforce. I just love that awesome title. Uh, Brian is also an eight-time best-selling author and international keynote speaker. Forbes actually called him one of the more creative and brilliant business minds of our time. ZDNet had said that Brian is one of the 21st century business world leading thinkers. Over the past 20 years, Brian has studied digital Darwinism to understand the impact of disruption on businesses, markets, and societies. In his work, he humanizes emerging and disruptive trends to help leaders see the new and meaningful possibilities of digital transformation and innovation. Brian's research explores innovation, digital transformation, experience design, CXAI, and the cognitive enterprise in human behavior. Brian's latest book, Life Skill, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life, is a research-based and personal journey to discover the effects of digital in our lives and learn how to rewire ourselves and forward with greater purpose, creativity, and performance. Brian's previous book, X, The Experience When Business Meets Design, explores the importance of experiences and how to design them for customers, employees, and human beings everywhere. Brian, the stage is yours, my friend. Wow, all right. Hey, thank you, Nick. Uh, I will press one uh, for you uh, right after this presentation so that we go into the Q&A. Uh, and I definitely want to thank everyone for having me here. You know, one of the things that I think is really, uh, really interesting that I was just thinking about because of uh, uh, our listening uh, experience to Hotel California was that in virtual engagements, you don't have your own walk-up music. And I think we're going to have to change it. Let me see if this works. Yes, yes, okay. I'm gonna have some virtual walk-up music now while I get everything ready for the presentation about customer experience and the future of marketing. Uh, and with that said, you know, I don't think anything says innovation and experience like PowerPoint. And so if you'll allow me to indulge you, I will get here a PowerPoint deck ready to rock and roll. And with that said, let's just go ahead and jump in. So the new role of marketing in CX is, well, it's one that I'm really passionate about because if marketing isn't going to be a leader in customer experience, and I don't just mean CX as a strategy, I mean in actually delivering customer experiences, integrated experiences that matter, that mean something, that trigger fantastic memories when you recall those experiences. I mean, I don't know who else is going to lead that. So let's just jump right in. Uh, I want to share with you some of the research that I have done specifically in the last year. And the reason, uh, aside from the obvious, which is the year that we were all disrupted, was because I have never seen accelerated behavior change like I have seen in the last year. I've been studying, this is as Nick mentioned, uh, you know, I've been a digital anthropologist for a long time. And the reason why I became one, it wasn't even a thing in the 90s, uh, was because I, I was chartered with helping technology companies change the world. Uh, it was a small charter, uh, but 
what I needed to do was to help those companies change behaviors and create new markets. And when the consumerization of the internet happened, Amazon.com launching in 1994, can you believe that? Uh, then, you know, again, with the iPhone in 2005, I think it was, and Facebook and the app economy, the app store, you name it, social media. Uh, the reality is, is that we have changed. Those have been significant milestones where we as human beings have changed substantially. Right? But we're talking 20 plus years of digital evolution, uh, which is why I called it digital Darwinism. It's, you know, technology advances, uh, innovation advances, uh, but so does society, and society makes up markets. Uh, and as a result, you know, we have to look at how those markets are changing in order to reverse engineer those to deliver the types of experiences that people seek, that people want, that people love, that people don't know they love or need until they have it, and then that's what they have to have all the time. And so in this last year, the pandemic has absolutely accelerated a lot of these digital behaviors. Digital Darwinism essentially has been radically accelerated because essentially the world, as we know, shut down. And when it shut down, we all had to embrace digital in order to stay connected, in order to communicate, in order to shop, uh, in order to order whatever it is that we needed <laughs> or more than we needed from Amazon. <laughs> uh, and what it ended up happening in the last year is what I called the rise of generation novel. Uh, inspired by the novel coronavirus, novel means new and unusual. And what we saw was the rise of a new and unusual generation of connected customers, digital first customers who either were experts uh, or early adopters or everyday users of, of things like, you know, you name it, Uber, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, DoorDash, Postmates, uh, Amazon. But then there was everybody else who had to become digital first pretty much overnight. That didn't necessarily lead or live a digital lifestyle, but suddenly had to. Uh, so you had that rise of that customer. And with that, the digital first behavior start to transform how you behave in the real world. And if, if you need more on this, please watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Uh, it shows how, in, in, in some cases, technology has changed us not for the better. But not only was there the digital first shift, there was also an emotional shift, a psychological shift, because of the somatic marker that is COVID-19. Uh, it got us to reflect. It got us to think differently. It got us to change how we spend money and how we don't, how we save money, changed our values. It changed how we work, it changed how we live, changed how we learn. Uh, and it also changed our values in, in the sense of look beyond ourselves, extending or projecting those values onto the companies that we want to work with. And a lot of this has transpired in the last year to the point where so much has happened that I've basically spent full time understanding this, making sense of it, and trying to guide businesses uh, moving forward. Why this is so important and why I think marketing needs to pay attention and take a leadership role is because for 20 plus years, we have not changed fundamentally how we work. We haven't changed the definitions of what it means to be a marketer. We haven't changed the standards of what marketing success really needs to be in order to connect to and drive business success. We have been beholding to or beholden to, to executives who have viewed marketing in a particular context based on whatever definition or experience they have from marketing. And marketing deserves, I think as a result, 
a seat at the table. Uh, and, and by the table, I mean the C-suite and not just a CMO, but I'm like a chief experience officer, chief customer officer, all of those things. Uh, but ultimately, the reason is, is that customers continue to evolve. Uh, and as customers continue to evolve, uh, so does their expectations, uh, their preferences, uh, all of the things that define their day-to-day decision-making. Now, why is that important? It's important because here is the experience divide. And in the experience divide, well, that's where today customers make decisions to go backwards. If they have to do business with a company that is very rigid in how they deliver experiences, how they talk to customers, how they serve customers, how they measure customer engagement, then they are crossing the bridge back to businesses because we're not really moving as fast as they are. But what started to happen, especially with the rise of Web 2.0, social media, the democratization of technology, they started to move faster and faster and faster. Uh, And they also started to experience new things in new ways that essentially created what I call jokingly and lovingly accidental narcissists, right? Because they can get whatever they want, when they want, how they want. Uh, And why that matters is because they are moving in these new directions. Businesses are largely staying rigid. They're trying to adapt and innovate within this sphere, but they're not building bridges back over. And at some point, customers realize that if you can't speak my language, if you can't engage me the way that I want, if you can't deliver these experiences that I love and that I seek, then I will explore new choices. And this is important because customers are essentially saying uh, what the reason for why we're talking, which is I want better experiences. 84% of business customers say, and also consumers, say that the experience is as or more important uh, than the services and products that you sell. And the reason why that's important, well, if we haven't figured that out, uh, maybe we need to go back to business school. But in reality, you know, what is an experience, right? An experience is something that you feel. It's something that you recognize as being personal because it's yours. The experience that you have is yours. And when you feel it, whether it's amazing, or whether it absolutely sucks, you will remember it. And how you feel is how you will recall the brand. It is the most powerful anchor to brand that has existed. And in a world of digital, where you are moving fast, where everything knows who you are, where you are the center of attention, think about how you use social platforms today. Brands now have to be not only digital, but they have to be experiential. That's a marketer's job. And that means it's not just in any one moment, whether it's the top of the funnel or whether it's email or whether it's website or whether it's uh, traditional advertising or digital advertising or loyalty marketing uh, or account-based marketing. It's all of these things. It's every stage of the journey Uh, because what, when we get serious about accidental narcissism, what it really means is that 
people have changed and here are the things that they expect from their favorite businesses in the experiences that they have. Relevant choices, immediacy, convenience. They want everything to be accurate, experiential, personalized. They want it to be integrated and frictionless. Right? One of some of the greatest complaints that customers have, that we have as customers, is that whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, or whether it's service, those are three different companies within a company where you almost have to start all over again in terms of uh, the, the service that you need or the products that you want to buy. Uh, we want everything to be intuitive and platform native. And I'll give you an example, mobile. I want to be able to go through the customer journey. I want to engage with you. I want to engage with chatbots, whatever it is, in a way that's platform native. And now we're starting to say no me. So the data, we're, customers are saying that you can have access to all kinds of data, things that would probably make you think are on the creepy line or over the creepy line. But customers will say that if I'm getting value from that, if you're using it to improve the experiences that I have, then please, please do. And it's important that we see the customer's experience. I always use an apostrophe S yes when I talk about customer experience. The customer's experience is theirs, right? Because it's personal. And so that means that we have to see the world through their eyes. Uh, because when we think about new technology, like for example, AI and automation and in, in, in engagement and marketing, uh, you know, it's innovative. It's like, wow, this is fantastic that we can do these things. But if we look at it through their eyes, we can actually see that what we're doing is just making how we do things better or how we did things yesterday better for tomorrow. When in fact, they want new types of experiences. Uh, in fact, they want digital first experiences. They want intuitive experiences. They want engagement conversations, they want landing pages, they want clicks, next best action, whatever those things are, recommendations to be intuitive and personal. This is a real sidewalk in China. It's also a visual metaphor that I use to show that a digital first customer navigates the world differently than a traditional or analog customer. And we have our, our standards, our processes, our metrics, our models, how we budget, how we drive campaigns, how we measure success are all based on an analog world. When in fact, what the pandemic did among many things is accelerated these digital first behaviors and expectations to the point where I wanted to share some of that research with you that now the digital imperative is not optional, but it's not just a digital imperative. It's also a shift in mindset, how we see what we do for a living how we see the role of marketing within the organization is to better deliver against customer needs. And I just jumped over that without getting into it, but you know, quickly, it just shows most uh, customers want you to understand their unique needs and expectations. They want consistent interactions across departments and that's a marketer's role to deliver those experiences. So someone's got to lead that integration and they also expect brands to demonstrate empathy and empathy. <sighs> You know, marketing has a way of, of turning words into buzzwords, but this is one that I don't know that as much as we hear it, we can't call it a buzzword because all it really means is to see the world and feel the world through you know, the eyes, the mind, the soul, the spirit of another. And the way to do that is through data. I call it data-driven empathy is to use this and ask different questions in order to be able to deliver better experiences because we understand what people want, what they expect, what they don't want. And 
that digital imperative is essentially them telling you, look, give me new ways to get existing products and services, expand customer engagement methods that are more modern and, and reflect how I communicate in the real world, offer new types of products and services, but just please change and change in a unified way. In fact, this was really interesting. This was from our state of marketing report said that 80% of high performing marketing organizations say that they lead customer experience initiatives across their organization. And I actually believe that this is the only way forward because experience has to have someone who's accountable for it, who defines what that experience needs to be like a, like a brand style guide, but an experience style guide articulates what it is, what it looks like, what it feels like, and that is then standardized across the customer journey because it is the journey, it's the sum of that, those touch points that reflects the customer's experience. And this goes back now to what is a brand uh, in what I call the novel economy, playing on the generation novel concept, which is not a new normal, not an ex normal, but an opportunity to define the future that we really wanna have and live in. So empathy, you know, when we look at that somatic marker, that is COVID-19, is more important than it's ever been before. We're always going to have deep visceral responses to these times when we think about them, when we recall them. Some of the best times, maybe some of the worst times, but they're all times that we shared. We've come into this together. We're all going to come out of it differently, and I think that's the point. We'll never look at an empty roll of toilet paper the same way. We'll never look at hand sanitizer the same way again. Uh, and this has fundamentally changed our behaviors, whether we know it or not. Uh, it's made us more conscious. And I don't mean conscious in a metaphysical way. I mean conscious like we're paying more attention to what matters. And as a marketer, this is all accessible. I can tell you that just spending the last year studying this stuff, it would it absolutely changes even how I talk, how I present, how I use my channels to engage with people. And it's also radically changed how I'm thinking about my next book. But I can tell you that some of the most profound work that I've been doing this last year, for example, with my colleague, Henry King, has been exploring then, knowing that empathy is so important, knowing that digital first behaviors, everyone's gonna just say that, be digital first. But what does that mean? How are you more human in a digital first world? How are you more empathetic? How are you more engaging? How do you become attractive? And by attractive, I mean like that light to a moth, that you are magnetic and that you pull people in because you make them feel fantastic or you deliver the types of experiences that make them feel in ways that are unique and special. Uh, and these are articles that I could have uh, uh, Audrey and the team share with you uh, afterwards, but they really do start to look at then how memories. So let me kind of give you a, a quick, quick, quick overview so that I can get, get, get uh, back to Nick so that we can have a question and answer session. But when I wrote the book X, The Experience When Business Meets Design, what I had found that experience was a reflection of human emotion, right? How you feel in a moment, how you respond in that moment, how you recall that moment. And I remember making the, the, some, some type of connection saying, you know, experiences become memories, whether they're good or bad. And those memories become the pillars of the foundation for brand and in your memories, how you recall and retell those experiences. And why that's important is because it is the most powerful 
aside from smell, the most powerful way to recall something pleasant and something awful, right? And during these times where people are so conscious and, and so vulnerable and so open in terms of their emotion, whether they're expressing it or not, uh, it is an opportunity to rekindle or build new types of relationships with customers on a platform or on a bed of meeting. And so we had found that because these times were so powerful, we introduced a concept called epochal memory, which was that this is an epoch and our memories within these epoch, within this epoch are going to be different than when the world reopens, right? And we, they will be sort of protected in a safe. Uh, and so making these types of connections understanding what was important to people and what they valued and what they didn't value during these times would help us build a more meaningful and lasting brand and, and relationship moving forward. And we talked about it as epigraphics, right? Which was a way of looking at how memories tie into behaviors like generation novel uh, in order to really kind of shift from this idea of persona-based marketing to human marketing at scale because we have now access to data and we also have access to AI and automation and ways that we can use machine learning by asking different questions with different intentions to reimagine marketing moving forward, because it does represent a way to finally build those types of relationships that we don't have to compete for just because we're witty or clever or creative, but we're, we also get them. We get that their attributes have changed. We get that they're continuing to change. We get that there's things that they value more now in life than they did just a year ago. And these are all ways to rebuild the brand uh, in this novel economy, in what becomes the future that we define. You know, for example, uh, trust skyrocketed to the number one thing that customers seek in brand renovation. They also want you to play a different role uh, in society, that if they don't see how you're engaging customers uh, in a much more human and empathetic way, that they'll leave. Uh, that they see service and integrated services as becoming a form of brand and engagement. And now with digital, they're exercising that power of choice. If your values do not align with their values, especially, you know, I hate to say it, but in a time of divisiveness too, on top of the pandemic, they'll just find someone who does. And I guess what that means is it's an opportunity to reimagine brand in the novel economy. What are the brand pillars aside from the things that we say and we've built over the years, how can we make them more human and meaningful for this epoch? And then in this post pandemic economy and why this is important is because people are already starting to show that if you do not do this, they will leave. This is McKinsey data. And basically what it says is that all around the world, people are exercising that choice, what they value, uh, who gets them, who's digital first. And in the United States, for example, 73% of customers have already experimented with a new brand or service. And 75 to 83% of them expect to stay with that new brand uh, or service. And what, why is that important? Well, one, wow, it's a sense of urgency. Uh, two, loyalty is up for grabs. So retention is marketing, relationships are marketing, and acquisition is a growth opportunity. And so experience innovation, if you think about the future of marketing, it's essentially demonstrating that empathy uh, in terms of learning, discovery, curiosity, and then also engagement. So 
exploring the lives of customers through their eyes, what they value, love, and seek, how they experience your products and brand, uh, and how you discover new opportunities to deliver surprise and sprinkle some magic, right? Because that, there's an excellent ROI that's already tied to all of this, but essentially you're just delivering a better customer's experience. You're delivering a better memory. You're delivering a better uh, feeling uh, that when they recall, it is always positive. It's, it's much more powerful than something like NPS. Uh, and so Henry King and I then looked at how would we redesign the digital transformation and then also the role of marketing and just uni a unified experience through relationships. And we call it RTX, relationship transformation, which then you articulate what that experience should be. You articulate what those relationships should look like and feel like, and you design accordingly. And you look at all of your touch points and you see what's broken and what's not delivering against those standards and you fix each one at a time. You don't have to go fix everything overnight, but the most important, most critical, most crucial touch points to deliver against whatever that experience style guide is going to be and whatever that relationship transformation is going to look like because it'll redefine every aspect of your organization and someone's got to lead the charge. Someone's got to start asking different questions. Someone has to look at data in order to get these different answers to tell us where to focus so that we could reimagine the journey as one big marketing loop where we can look at the marketing loop and reimagine every tactical and tangible uh, thing, every transaction that we create in the role of marketing intentionally for these types of experiences and these types of outcomes that every single touch point becomes a moment to touch the customer. It's a marketing touch. It's an experiential touch. It's an opportunity to show empathy, show that you're listening, communicate purpose, align values, create better experiences, deliver that magic, build trust, learn, unlearn, and improve. And I call this, for those who recall, I, several years ago, I worked with Google to introduce what we called micro moments. And it was a way to get brands to see, brands and marketers to see that when someone goes through the customer journey on a mobile device, whole set of different expectations. They want to move faster. They want things said less. They, they prioritize video and not just video, but like marketing video, they contextual video. Like uh, I'm looking for a car that has this type of trunk space. I'm looking for videos like and now that micro moment has given way to what I call an ignite moment. An ignite moment is we're in a pandemic, we're in the epoch, we feel the stress and the anxiety of COVID-19, the economy, and politics, divisiveness, racial injustice, all of these things are happening all at once. Add climate change to that. And when you have a moment from someone who's running around so fast, multitasking, a thousand tabs open on their browser, scrolling, zooming, uh, when you have that gift of their attention, be the light. That's the role of marketing is to serve. And you can help lead that integration. Uh, you could use Ignite moments, one touch at a time to deliver that experience that you said you would deliver and to build that relationship that you articulated that you would build. Um, I think on that note, I've over... Uh, I went over my time and I want to press one for Nick. <laughs> and he's back. How fitting at the very end of this, you call them hashtag ignite moments, ignite AMA. Uh, I don't know if that was planned or that was, but either way, that was perfect. 
uh, well done. I, I have a ton of questions and I know I want to make some probably five to 10 minutes left for the Q&A. So let me jump in with a couple of questions that I had based off of what, what you talked about. And the first one is you mentioned that brand loyalty has shifted during COVID. So what do the trends show about brand loyalty just overall in general? Well, you know, you could argue that loyalty has never really been as strong as we thought it was. Uh, and in the typical context of, of marketing, I don't want to generalize, but we tend to talk about loyalty in terms of points or rewards or buy something, get something. Uh, and really what it, what's more important now and what all my data is showing me and, and look, it's not just data, it's talking to people too, is that I want to know that the business that I'm working with gets me and how you can communicate that to me is how you value me, how you value my time. For example, uh, I just published some research yesterday that shows that if you have, if you have to physically touch the customer, like <laughs> I think everybody's favorite uh, in-person customer experience is the DMV. Uh, <laughs> if you have to touch a customer or, or field service like uh, you know, your, your cable provider or your internet provider, that an appointment and keeping to that appointment is actually a way of communicating value. Not saying I'll be there between 10 and 1, but saying I'll be there at 10.30 and I'll be prompt and will serve. Uh, that is one form of marketing that was a marketing insight, a consumer insight, that came back into the service organization so that service could be part of marketing. That's just one of the many ways, trust being another, that how do you show me that you trust me? Right? It's not just really trying to understand the attributes of a persona and marketing or communicating and such, it's actually changing how you engage or how you even think about business uh, differently. And the thing about it is that no one's really been chartered with that as their job title. Uh, but marketers are right in the front line of customers. And with insights and with the ability to be influential within the organization, marketing becomes the whole journey, I believe. Yeah, well said. Uh, it kind of transitions right to my next question. So you said that 79% of high-performing marketing organizations lead CX initiative, and I find that fascinating. Can you talk more about the alignment of CX responsibilities across the company and what you see today? Yeah, well, it, it starts with having a single source of truth, right? And, and, and what I mean by that is how are you making decisions that are in the best interests of your business and your customer. And when we talk about silos, you know, we, we tend to almost use it as an excuse. Like, well, you know, we have silos and we just need to break down the silos. Well, another way to look at it and what high performing marketers are doing is that they're, look, this is gonna sound commercial, but it, I mean, it just, it is what it is. They share a CRM platform. And by that, it means it's service, sales and marketing has access to a system of record which travels with the customer as they move through those departments. And it, it builds upon it, especially with AI and machine learning now, you learn how to deliver more value to the customer at every stage. And you know who the customer is at every stage. And so it becomes less about silos and more about like a baton that you pass along a race. Uh, and that's, I think, at the core that you're using technology with the purpose to get closer to the customer 
and then to design, I think this is the next level, to design those experiences and that relationships that everybody knows what they're working toward. Yeah, I mean, as a consumer, everybody wants to feel known and valued and everybody's felt that bad experience of whatever that looks like. We could spend the next 45 minutes on a conversation about uh, <laughs> the worst case scenario. So, uh, but I think it's important uh, that design in that acting in that next step, <clears throat> excuse me. So, so the next one is marketing and CX professionals use data to discover insights and trends, but this isn't necessarily always easy. Um, so what advice would you offer about getting started or improving the process for maybe uncovering meaningful insights? Well, thankfully, we, we, we live in a time where AI, machine learning, and automation are really starting to become approachable by people who don't have a data science degree. Uh, and I think the challenge that we've had up until this point has been that data has been so complex uh, that we've had to give it to someone who could equally master that complexity, uh, which in of itself created a, yet another silo within the organization. Uh, so I don't know that those insights were one, uh, humanized and two, that they were real time. But now we have platforms that are not only real time, but they're, they're starting to get smart enough to be predictive. Some of the best organizations over the years have put data at the center of marketing. Uh, there's a video I have uh, on, on YouTube. It's actually a series uh, where I, I talked to uh, VRBO now owns them, I believe, but uh, also Electronic Arts. And they specifically talk, oh, so also Carnival Cruise Lines. They, all, they specifically talk about how they created a marketing culture around data that allowed them to better understand who their customers were. They asked different questions and then they organized, reorganized marketing, literally. So I know this is going to sound hard, but this is what they're doing uh, is they're reorganizing essentially like that unified view of the customer in order to execute uh, ahead of or in real time uh, in terms of engagement, marketing, service, et cetera. Uh, and so it's essentially building a data organization or a data culture uh, and plugging it directly to customers to customer facing groups. Uh, the EA one is very interesting because the CMO actually talks about the new marketing model that he built. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot that we can learn from. And look, I get I get it, you know, cause I, I always get it. Hey, what are your top three things that we could go do right now? Uh, and I, I, I think that's part of why we're where we are today is that we're kind of looking for the easy checklist mm -hmm. and what we need are marketing revolutionaries uh, because <laughs> I didn't see this pandemic coming, uh, but I can tell you that working with companies right now behind the scenes, that they are dealing with the hard stuff uh, and they're going to come out of this. They might've been on this trajectory coming into the uh, pandemic. Now they're on this trajectory. And so that's what we're competing with. And if you look at historically, every great disruption in history, right? Just whether it's a pandemic or, or a natural crisis or, or economic crisis, it has been a time of great invention. Uh, and that's exactly what's happening right now. Somebody's got to lead it. And I, that's why I'm here today. I, I'm hoping that that's why you're here today too. Absolutely. So uh, the, for all the listeners, feel free to start putting the questions in. I'll probably ask maybe one, maybe two more questions, depending on how many questions you guys put in the chat. So feel free to put them in today uh, or right now. Um, you, you just mentioned marketing revolutionaries. What does that mean to you? Well, I think 
the thing about leadership, or the thing about inter innovation is that it's a code word for leadership. Uh, and what, what leadership means isn't just a title. Like, I, that's not my job, that's somebody else's job. Uh, mm -hmm. If you look at you know, those who, are, who wait to be told what to do, they're often on the wrong side of innovation. Uh, I think a, revolution, a revolutionary is someone who sees an opportunity and aligns people around it in a way that doesn't threaten them, because uh, this is really about change and change is very human, but in a way that inspires them and that everybody feels like they could play a role in leading this change, because you're heading into you know, uncharted territory. But the only way to do that now is with data, but also with a champion. And if it helps, I wrote a paper about five years ago, maybe, maybe no, three years ago, I don't know, time's flying. It's called the, the Digital Change Agents Manifesto. And it's a paper that I wrote specifically to help answer this question, is how to be that revolutionary within the organization and know that you have to get people to do things or feel things or think about things that they don't wanna do. And the human, when we say it's human, what we mean by that is, People don't want to change. Some of them don't. They're happy the, the way things are. Um, you know, if you look at certain data, you know, eighty percent, upwards of eighty percent of of employees are not the happiest campers in their job, and so they're not necessarily inspired to go do that change. But this is what leadership is about. It's about getting people to believe in something and take action on it. Yeah, hundred um, percent. One question that I had is for somebody who is nonstop putting out content. Uh, I, I, my guess is there's gotta be a, a lot of marketers that are like, first of all, how the heck are you doing so much? Like you just doing a live stream of content, it's just a transcription and then you just push it out to, to the biggest channels. But uh, that wasn't my question. My question is, there's more content available now than ever before. And it's becoming harder to kind of cut through that digital noise per se. So what advice would you have about kind of cutting through the noise and, and getting in, maybe deciphering what, what truth is and getting your content out there to, to help your customers. Well, it's a whole separate session. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see you at Ignite too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there was a, there's a slide I showed uh, that showed the context experience and it was the mm -hmm. white slide that had two, uh, the two circles over uh, together, the infinity loop. Uh, and there's a practice, essentially what you need to do is understand the questions that people are asking and where they're asking those questions. I gave a presentation at a conference called the Deep Crawl. And the Deep Crawl is about how people search and discover. Uh, and as you would imagine, there's a lot of search uh, experts there. But when we think about search, we get sort of locked into this rigid process of what are the keywords and how do we show up with those keywords? Uh, and there's a whole there's a whole strategy for making sure that your content organically and, and also through paid you know, results are the things that people find. But what you miss is actually what people are asking and how people communicate. And this is the work that we did around micro moments uh, with Google many years ago, which was if you start with this device, you're already communicating to a brand that you're in a really distracted, really fast paced state of mind. And what we learned was that people were asking questions. Uh, and when, rather than just looking at keywords, you look at keyword anthropology. What are the sentence structures so that you can then be the answer to that question, 
right? And not just here's a page so that we could rank. It's also here's a video that answers your question specifically, a two minute video that answers your question. Not going through the whole brand style guide and not making sure you use this word and this word, this word, and it's just literally answering that question. So video, image, text, uh, and what you realize is then you start to show up differently. Uh, and when you show up differently, you become part of the consideration set. So that's probably the quickest answer I could give to you, but that is how you start to cut through the clutter because people don't have time to read or watch like they used to. And I think we can all appreciate that. Well, I, I would I would agree with that. It's also our uh, our attention span is like a like a squirrel, right? We have a, a five five second attention span. So videos are are definitely important. Um, one thing. So there's a, a whole bunch of questions. So let me start with the top. Why are some of the most useful metric companies can use to measure customer experience and loyalty? Can you ask that one more time, Nick? What are some of the most useful metrics companies can use to measure CX and loyalty? I wonder if this is still online. I wrote this piece called Shared Experience Value. Uh, and it was this idea to document the experience you wanted people to have as a whole. So if somebody said, hey, what's it like uh, dealing with uh, you know, Nick? It would be this response. And then you measure, is that response how you said your brand promise would be or your experience promise would be? And you sort of find the gaps and you look for ways to close those gaps. Uh, and, and the metric itself was shared experience value. It was looking at this way of, you know, since we live in a world where everything is reviewed from the food you eat to the products you buy, uh, could you close that gap by creating experiences in every step of the way that would essentially, when articulated back to you, would be in alignment. Like, like Jeff Bezos once said, your brand is what people say uh, about you when you're not in the room. Uh, and that shouldn't be left to chance. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the more interesting stats that I've seen come up has been customer effort. Mm -hmm. So there's a score tied to how hard or easy is it to do business with you. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of papers on that because experiences like traditional customer experiences and the touch points that they have in the journey are actually one of the biggest detractors from people feeling good about your your brand. So customer customer effort is a good metric that ties back to things like customer lifetime and customer loyalty. Uh, but I, I, I'd, I'd look at also suggesting that revolutionaries don't measure how they're driving a revolutionary based on yesterday's metrics either. They're creating new things moving forward to justify the new paths that they're on. Uh, they're called waypoints, uh, or you could follow Google's method around OKRs, but I think there's a way of measuring new progress in new directions like shared experience value that are going to demonstrate that you're making progress in a new direction. Yeah, great stuff. So we got another one. Uh, in reference to the example of setting the appointments for a specific time instead of a time range, how do you get other departments like logistics on board with good marketing ideas that will improve the experience but are also very difficult to execute? I mean, look, I get it. If it was easy, everybody could do this. Uh, but I think it's also uh, why we need revolutionaries, champions, and leaders, uh, because you're, you are, you're literally writing the new book for marketing, the new marketing playbook moving forward. And every chapter is an answer to a question just like that. So one way to get logistics or anybody to move from where they are today is to show them just how crappy the experience is right now uh, and what that costs the organization. Uh, and look, this is what D2C brands do so well. So remember that slide where I showed, you know, business 
business metrics, business models, and customer expectations, customer behaviors. Uh, mm. And that experience divide, right? That experience divide is growing. For what, whatever business you're in, even if you're Uber, you have an experience divide. There's always someone chasing at you, or always someone trying to disrupt you. But if you don't have a model in any way, shape, or form that tries to close that gap, you will be disrupted. That is just, it's called creative destruction. It's a term that goes back to the 1920s. Something old has to make way for something new. Uh, and when that something new comes in, it sets the standard for experience. So not answering the question is not an option. So showing people how bad that experience is and then demonstrating the upside of a better experience by fixing that and then collaborating together on how to fix that is one way forward. When we did micro moments, if you just simply showed up differently in search and then had a mobile friendly click path, you won. And those were easy to do because you could bypass everybody and everything else. And when you won, it was huge. Like you'll see in those videos, if you watch them, hundreds of percent of growth uh, in short amounts of time. And of course, everybody wants a piece of that. Uh, and of course it works because you're delivering something that's better. Uh, and so what, what I was mentioning about D2C brands is that they're looking right at that experience divide to see where you are not delivering against what people want. And they are telling their investors, uh, give us a few million dollars, I'll return billions of dollars back because this is the crappy experience that they're having today, how I will solve it, how we will turn that into revenue and monetize that, and how we will grow. So talk about inventing metrics. That's all startups do all the time. And that's what we could get better at doing too. Yeah, yes. Show them how you are treating your people like the DMV. <laughs> and how to improve yeah. it and what that costs the organization i always say i always say you know like we always talk about return on investment which you will get in terms yeah. of delivering better experiences but the joke i use is you know when roi stands for return on ignorance what's the cost of not doing these things i love that so we got a couple of comments and then we'll jump to one more question uh, right at the end so yeah thank goodness an expert in digital is beating the drum with learning how to answer the questions the who what how and why so kudos to you uh, one of the most fun things I do in my job is answering those questions. Um, how high empathy leaders leverage authentic? Oh, oh, how can high empathy leaders leverage authentic authenticity in marketing? All right. So a high empath is someone who, uh, for better or for worse, I think I, I'm for sure an empath uh, is that you are naturally always concerned with everything around you, how people feel, how people think, how it is. It's also personally, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a confidence thing too. Uh, it's also tied to imposter syndrome. I know this is psychologically and emotionally not what Jessica's asking, but uh, it's also part of the answer, which is to say, you know, for someone who is a leader in humanity, uh, you, you have to understand the upside of of what it means to be empathetic and how you digitize empathy into actionable in insights. Uh, so one of the things that I'm gonna spend more time on this year is, is buffing out this idea of digital driven empathy uh, and creating alignment with people who touch the customer uh, so that we can make the case around how to make people feel differently in order to trigger the types of responses uh, that they feel. And, and look, the reason why I, I did this was because uh, when I wrote X and also the book before that WTF, which stood for what's the future, uh, it was, I studied uh, 
how people read books. Uh, and the reason I did that is because I, ha I had a, a hypothesis that people read books differently than they did when they were growing up. Uh, because when you live in a world where you're swiping and zooming and, and scrolling and moving fast and faster and fast, uh, that you could redesign a printed book to be more friendly to that digital brain in an analog application, if that made any mm. sense. Uh, and so what I studied was the art and science of strategic next generation UX and UI design. So like how, not how you design a site or an app, but getting more into behavior change. Uh, and this is what's called persuasive design. It's actually, it's actually a big program taught at Stanford and persuasive design is about outcomes uh, and then reverse engineering how you get to those outcomes. Uh, so an empathic leader or someone who's an inspiring empath uh, essentially needs to understand what are the outcomes and then look at the human dots in order to create that. So for example, uh, Snapchat, uh, the founder took persuasive design courses at Stanford and created Snapchat. His goal was to change how you communicate and to introduce the idea of ephemeral messaging right? that didn't exist before. Uh, and then the same is true uh, for Instagram, the same is true for TikTok. They're all about changing behaviors to suit the types of outcomes you want, for better or for worse, right? But that's what I went through as well uh, in terms of that book design was changing the behaviors so that somebody could enjoy reading in a linear format the way that they engage in a very dynamic digital environment. So it's a long answer because it's a very complex question. Uh, and I don't know if Jessica realizes that she's going to get more maybe than what she wanted. But essentially what you're doing is you're making empathy actionable. Yeah, I, I think it was very well said. I think every time that we have a question, you could make it into a presentation. So uh, <laughs> Brian, I appreciate it, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I learned a ton. I'm sure everybody else did as well. Um, Audrey, uh, oh, we got, we got, you already jumped in. So feel free to uh, make that transition. Sure thing. Guys, Brian and Nick, thanks so much for igniting a fire to end the day with. What a great discussion to end the day. Thanks, thanks a lot. It's been, it's been amazing. Oh, my pleasure. I'm Michelle Voss, co-chair of AMA Ignite Conference. So now let's announce the prizes to wrap up the day. First, the book winners of the keynote session. The winners are Emily Stamis. You'll be receiving Brian Salas's book, X, when experience, the experience when business meets design. And S. Berman, you'll be receiving Rashad Tabakawala's book, Restoring the Soul of Business. And next, we have our social media winners. So if you shared posts leading up to the event and used Ignite, hashtag AMA Ignite, we enter you into the drawing. And those winners are Lauren Page, you'll be receiving Rashad's book. Renee Natalie, you'll be receiving Brian's book. Deborah Grossman, Rashad's book. And Carrie McLean, Brian's book. Congratulations. And finally, our social media grand prize winner who is receiving the message in a bottle is Mindy Ofterheide. Congratulations to you, Mindy. And now, finally, on to the winner of our scavenger hunt for the iPhone 11. And I'd like to say congratulations to Cynthia Seaberger. Congratulations. And finally, 
thank you all for attending this year's customer experience cross-training conference. And as you all hit the ground running with your lessons learned from Ignite 2021, keep in mind, we'll be back next year where we look forward to seeing you live on site and in person. If you've joined us as a non-member of the Cincinnati AMA, know that membership has its perks. So consider joining our award-winning chapter and get access to a number of exclusive opportunities, discounts, and more. One of which is a discount to AMA Ignite. Finally, this conference and all the sessions will be available for you for the next six months. So watch for more details in your inbox. And thank you all again and have a great rest of your day. listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing it with them by giving them a link of this episode or directly from your app. And last, if you'd like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.